Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Ms. Fran Horning. Fran graduated with a degree in dental hygiene in 1984 from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. She was introduced to biological dentistry immediately upon graduation through the use of phase contrast microscopy and now has returned to research and find the root cause and prevention of disease by using holistic modalities. She has established working relationships with many medical providers in the field of alternative and integrative medicine and is one of the founding members and on the board of the first holistic chamber of commerce in the state of New Jersey. Fran is the qualitative director of the largest holistic dental practice in the state of New Jersey and oversees quality control, customer service, and staff training. She is also a public speaker who presents internationally on biological modalities, moderating and presenting webinars, seminars, wellness events, and creating continuing education courses. She's also a ghostwriter for blogs and articles on holistic dentistry and has created many YouTube videos. It is indeed now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Fran Horning. Fran, I am so excited to have you join me today. I, I know a little bit about your story, and I know that we connected right away in the very beginning because of some of the different things that you're doing in dental hygiene. But I really loved meeting you when we connected down in Fort Lauderdale. And so I am really excited to share your story with the audience. So without any further ado, if you could tell us about how you got into dentistry, what you're doing today, and how it might be a little bit different, because I know it's a little bit different than what everybody else is doing. So thanks so much for being here. Actually, how I got into dentistry is a little different than maybe other people have. I had absolutely zero interest in dentistry. I had no clue what doing dentistry would be. I really wanted to be a nurse. And I was in the car with my dad. I think I was about 17. And at this time, my guidance counselor was like, okay, what do you want to do? What are you going to do for college? And I always wanted to be a nurse because I took care of my mom who was disabled. And that's how I grew up, just taking care of people. So I definitely want to be a nurse. So I'm in the car with my dad and he's driving and I see an older gentleman collapse on his front lawn. He was with his grandkids. I mean, totally fall down. I'm like, ah! And I screamed bloody murder. And my father's like, oh my God, what's what? And I'm like, the man, the man. I was so distraught. And I think <laughs> looking back, I think it was just playing with his kids, you know, the grandkids. But it just made me petrified, oh my God, that somebody was having a medical emergency. I said, how am I going to be a nurse? I, I, I get too emotionally attached. Yeah. So I was having this discussion with my guidance counselor and they're going, he's flipping through the book and he goes, okay, we can try this. Nah, try this. Nah. Well, how about a dental hygienist? Because, you know, stereotypically they said, well, you know, you can have kids, you can, you know, it's very flexible. You make good money. And I'm like, ah, I'll give it a shot. Why not? So I applied and I got accepted. Little did I know there was 450 applicants and 24 accepted. So I was, Oh my gosh. Good for you, Fran. Yeah. That was way back in the ice age. So 
I said, oh, we'll give it a shot. And I fell madly in love with it. I mean, head over heels. Never thought I would love teeth. Now my husband's like, you need a hobby. Yeah, I mean, other than teeth. <laughs> so that being said, I was uh, in my last semester of dental hygiene. And one of the girls I was in school with said, you know, we need an assistant in our office. And would you be interested? And I'm like, I've never been an assistant. She goes, oh, it's cool. Train you. We'll train you. We need somebody for the periodontist. So I said, okay. So I, I tried it out. And it was something that changed my life forever. Mm. I worked with the periodontist. And we used to have a phase contrast microscope. Because back in the mid-80s, this whole Kai's technique was very popular. For those who don't know, it's a baking soda peroxide. And we used to use phase contrast microscopy to look at the pathogens and to be able to educate our patients on why periodontal treatment is necessary. So between seeing that phase contrast microscope, while I was finishing up my school, I said, they're not teaching this in school. And speaking with him and then him, he was a postgraduate professor and in fact still is at the university here. He would like hand train me as if he was training one of his dental students. And I'm a hygienist and I would sit and, and work with him, his surgical patients, et cetera. And I just was, I said, that's it. I want to be a periodontist. I, said, I love this. Got to be a periodontist. But when I finished school, I was so exhausted. I'm like, I, I just can't. I'm going to take a year off. My mother's like, you go now. If you don't go now, you're not going back. Well, she was absolutely right. So 36 years later, I'm still not a periodontist, but that phase contrast microscope that I was introduced to back in 1984, I am now using again. I missed it for many, many years when I was in conventional practice. And fate would have it that I wound up in this biological practice. And now I am practicing with that phase contrast and I'm practicing biological dentistry, which is also known as holistic dentistry. I prefer not to say holistic dentistry because it conjures up, you know, they smell like patchouli and burn incense and they don't shave their legs. No, it's a lot of evidence. <laughs> Science behind it. I do shave my legs, you know, and, you know, patchouli is okay. But <laughs> I, I like to, because it's biological dentistry, because we try to find the root cause of disease. And if we're addressing the root cause of disease, we're not just fixing the symptoms. We're fixing the cause and the symptoms. And, hopefully helping patients that way. So that's my long journey of 36 years of how I started with it, went away, but always kept the little inkling of it. I would always recommend more natural things to my patients, but that were evidence-based. I don't, there's no science behind it. I don't want to recommend it. And then I wound up uh, full circle back to uh, this type of dentistry. So despite my body's counselor, I tested it. Exactly. And how cool is that? Because my guidance counselor wasn't so cool. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another day. But give me an idea, and especially for you know any of the hygienists and the dentists out there that may not have any idea what you're talking about. Give me an idea of what a typical day is for you, because it's not just cleaning teeth, and it's not just one patient after another. Take me through a patient visit, especially let's call a new patient exam. A new patient comes in and a patient is looking for your practice specifically because they're interested in X, Y, and Z. So 
tell me about what that process is like and why is it so different from traditional dental hygiene? Well, I'm going to talk about hygiene uh, first. The way we approach hygiene, it's not just scale and polish teeth. And of course, you know, in conventional dentistry, we, we address periodontal disease, but we address it in a different manner in that we are um, looking for the cause. Okay, you do have salivary testing, but we also are using the face contrast microscope, which basically you take a sample of the subgingival flora. Supergingival is all aerobic, so you need the anaerobic bacteria subgingivally. Get them on a slide, and when you put them under the microscope and you see those spirochetes, the trypanoma and the amoeba and the trichomonads, you, you see the uh, gliding rods, all these high-risk bacteria moving around, the patients are now engaged and they're more motivated to be able to accept treatment. So now if we're addressing the cause, which are these microbes or the, the negative flora, we're going to be able to help solve periodontal disease. So now if I, in a conventional office, if I had somebody with perio disease, inflammation, they have five, six millimeter pockets, bleeding like crazy, I'm going to immediately do scale and plane. I usually do one side and then have them back a week later, do the other side, and then six weeks later, a re-eval. Patient's still bleeding. Why? Because those pathogens are still there. You're removing the calcaneous deposits, but have you really disrupted that biofilm? Yeah, you're using chlorhexidine potentially, but that is a fibroblast inhibitor, okay? So you're doing all that beautiful scaling root planing. Are you going to get that healing because you've got the fibroblast inhibitor? You know, do we use something else? What else causes those microbes to, to thrive? You know, an aesthetic environment. If you have an aesthetic oral uh, environment, those microbes are going to be more virulent. So we want to uh, balance the patient's pH. We take the pH on a patient. We use an iodine irrigation because we want to, if we have those pathogens, and if we start putting our scalar subgingivally or even just using our probe, before you even touch a scalar, you're using that probe. You know how many multitude of, of bacteria stay on that probe and you're now inoculating every site in the body? And if you're having any bleeding, you've got the fragile capillaries. You're, that bacteria has an entryway into the bloodstream. So you want to talk about oral systemic dentistry. I mean, this is kind of like the OG of oral systemic dentistry that we started back in the, 80s, in the 80s, is that we want to reduce the bacterial load by controlling pH, identifying the pathogens, being able to educate our patients about that. Being using things like ozone. Ozone is supercharged oxygen. It's basically made with um, where the oxygen atom is split. So the H2, uh, the O2 now becomes, you know, separate oxygen atoms and that free oxygen and now needs something. So it attaches to the O2 molecule. So it's now O3. And that has been shown to be highly effective in killing viruses, bacteria, fungi, and uh, parasites. So now if you have these pathogens subgingivally, you know, we're going to not only just use our hand scalers and our ultrasonic, we're using the ozonated water in our ultrasonic, having patients rinse with the ozonated water. So we're reducing the, um, the oral viral and bacterial load by rinsing, also subgingivally using ozone gas insufflation subgingivally so that you're really killing all those pathogens along with the scaling and root planing. You're going to get a much better result as opposed to just doing your scaling and root planing without managing that biofilm really effectively by using these other modalities. Other patients are coming to us because they just want a more natural approach. They don't want you know, toxic materials, potentially like mercury or you know, BPA, bis-GMA. They want things to be um, 
more natural in the body, whether they're fighting medical concerns. You know, we never claim that anybody's going to be cured by having biological dentistry. It's all about just using materials that are more compatible to the body. Some patients have an allergy or a sensitivity to certain materials. We offer testing, you know, just like if somebody has allergies, you know, food allergies or chemical sensitivities. We'll test for about 6,500 dental materials to see if any patient's sensitive or reactive to it. And we just don't use those materials. But some people are, are sensitive to nickel. Can you wear costume jewelry? Mm-mm. Okay, nickel allergy. And that can be found in you know certain PFMs, titanium implants, you know, things like that. So we need to make sure that our patients are not gonna be reactive to certain substances that we use. I don't know, many people know Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, who's fairly well known in the uh, Lyme world. And he says about 80% of what goes on systemically can start to be found in the mouth. And we now have a lot of research showing that there's definitive correlation. So what I do in a patient's mouth can affect them physically and vice versa. So. so tell me a little bit about some of the cases that you've, you've worked on and any significant transformation in patients' health. Um, the patients claim that there is. We do not claim that we will help patients. It's their choice if they have this type of dentistry or it's their choice. We have them write or, or sign um, consents to have certain procedures done because we don't want to say, yes, this is going to cure your this or this is going to fix your that. Mm-mm. If a patient presents with like a, a mercury toxicity, they've actually had blood work and it shows that they're mercury toxic and they're trying to get that metal chelated out of their system and they still have mercury amalgams. They cannot chelate all that metal out of their out of their body unless that patient gets their mercury fillings out. That is not our choice. That's the patient's choice. And they say, I want them out because I am sick because I am mercury toxic. You know, some of the symptoms are um, brain fog. Uh, you can have kidney problems. You can have memory problems. You can have tremors. There's, you know, lots of different things. Um, suicidal ideations. So, you know, a lot of people are mercury toxic and they don't necessarily uh, realize it, but those that do come to us and they have them removed safely. We do it in a certain way. And patients do, they claim they feel much better. We've seen uh, situations and, and other things like, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Nico lesions or cavitational lesions, where it's like areas of dead bone. And um, once they're cleaned out, you know, patients can uh, sometimes feel better. So fascinating. So where did you go to, uh, did you go to school to learn all of this? Did you take courses? How do you learn about all of this? A little bit of everything that you just said. It's my drive and my passion. It's my why. I have seen so many things. Like that face, I'm telling you, from back in the 80s, that face contrast, I knew the power of it. When you see those pathogens and that patient goes, how do I fix that? that you know you're doing the right thing. You know you're helping that patient. Because how many times you tell a patient, oh, you need, you need scale and root planning or you need treatment. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, I'll call, I'll call you back. No, but when they see it, they, like, they're engaged and it's so, it's so fulfilling. It's my, so back to, to how I learned, it's my drive to want to continue to learn. I started working this particular practice about six years ago. Actually, it's my six year anniversary last, last Monday. Congratulations. Thank you. 
And when I was, I went for an interview because I was looking for a part-time job. And they said, oh, no, 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 this is a full-time position. And I'm like, oh, I'm only looking for part-time. They're like, okay. So they said, you know, just come for a working interview. I came for a working interview. I saw that in my face contrast. That was it. I gave my other boss my notice. I said, that's it. I'm here. They teach, they taught me so much. This might be being in the office. I, I had such a hunger to learn more that I became involved with the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Well, I'm now, um, I'm now on their hygiene committee and I'm also a lecturer for them. It became involved with the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine. Now I am on their board and I lecture for them and I'm also the head of their hygiene committee. They were saying potentially I might move up the ladder in the future, executive director, whatever, that would be wonderful. Just going to the courses there, just my drive and my learning and in my free time, I want to just read more. I go to PubMed and I just learn more and more about it. Something, a patient, believe it or not, we learn for stuff from our patients. I mean, after all these years, patients come to us with things and we're like, we never heard of that. And when we investigate it, uh, some of these people, that's all they do. That's all they live is, is uh, this type of dentistry. I mean, a holistic lifestyle. So there are courses you can take through like the IBDM, the IAUMT, um, the Holistic Dental Association. But a lot of it is just really your own research. There is no school because what we do is dentistry. Dentistry is dentistry, whether it be holistic dentistry, biological dentistry, or dentistry. We do all the same thing. We both drill. We both scale. We both same thing. It's just the philosophy. It's the philosophical differences. So there is no school, and there's some online courses you can take. And I do belong to um, this uh, the seminar series, and uh, they're based out of Katy, Texas. I do lectures for them, and I'm one of their coaches. And I also do, you know, I give coaching. Uh, to some people, but it's just a lot of it is just learning on your own and just keep going down that deep rabbit hole. Just learn more, just keep devouring more information. So I think that it would be really helpful for anybody in the audience that's interested in, you know, learning more about this facet that we could share some links and some websites with them. So I'll ask you to do that afterwards because I think that's critically important to Pass along the information. You know, so many of us are, are into holistic lifestyles. I'm not, you know, over the edge. Do I try to eat organic and healthy 99% of the time? Absolutely. Because I know whatever I put in my body is what my body's going to look like. So if I keep putting crap in it, it's going to look like crap, right? So, I mean, that's basically what the bottom line is. So, but have I taken it beyond that? Not necessarily. You know, the wellness piece and the mind-body connection from a meditation standpoint, absolutely. But the the physical piece and, you know, the nutrition piece, I, I've never really explored to the level that, you know, you probably have. So I think that we all have our own thing that we, we get passionate about. And I, I saw your passion for this right away when you were talking about it when we first met. So I, I'm really glad you had a chance to share that. So thank you. Oh, oh, thank you. But um, it's, it's, I'm talking about it now, but a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have been as verbose about it. Really? Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I am an extroverted introvert. Now, like my time alone, 
and all that. And I'm a little shy. Would you know that? I'm shy, very shy. But I feel that my why is so strong and my love for what I do is so strong. And if I could just share it and make a difference in one person's life. Yeah. I gave a lecture for the IAUMT a couple of years ago up in uh, Vermont, in Stovemont. And I was talking about myofunctional therapy. I'm not a myofunctional therapist. I don't practice clinically any longer, which is fine, you know, for several reasons. And I was talking about why we need to do myofunctional therapy, why it's important. And, you know, people love the lecture. So that's great. About a year and a half later at another IUMT meeting, Somebody, a hygienist, came up to me. And she goes, oh, Fran, it's so good to see you. It's so good to meet you. And I'm like, oh, hi. She goes, you have no idea who I am, but I know who you are. She goes, you don't know how much you've changed my life. I listened to your lecture on myofunctional therapy. I was so inspired. I went home, and I found out the courses. I am now in a myofunctional therapist, and I have my own patients, my own office. And it's because of you. And I... Aww. I was speechless. Yeah. That's why I do. And so I'm, I'm pretty verbose about what I do now because, you know, a lot of people are not going to like it. They're going to think I'm a witch doctor and I'm a kook and I'm a quack. And that's fine. But you know what? If I can open somebody's mind just one, just, just think outside the box a little bit, just once. One aspect. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why I am pursuing this podcast because you know, there's so many different alternatives to private practice that we can all, different paths that we can all go down. And why not expose that? I mean, people are doing some really cool things. And I think that the more we can share what others are doing, you know, the more ruts we can get people out of. And I think that just makes everybody happier, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, the, the drill, fill, and bill. I mean, you're in that constant rut. In the, and I know in my biological practice, every day there's something new, there's something different. Right. There's a patient coming with a different situation, a different need, and it's like a puzzle. Like you have to think, like how are you gonna be able to fix this person? What practitioner can you work with? Because we work with a lot of practitioners. You know, I, I know in conventional dentistry, it's this whole thing about wanting to work with, you know, uh, with doctors and hospitals and practitioners. We've been doing it for years and we are working synergistically with these practitioners and it, to see the transformations in the patients and how happy the patients are, it's, it's, it's so fulfilling, it's so rewarding and it makes such a difference and it's almost, I hate to say it, I mean this horrible stuff that's going on now with COVID-19 with you know the external aerosol and the PPE that we have to wear and the respirators and so on. Like we've been doing that for years. <laughs> so it's almost by default, people are gonna start practicing the way we do to keep themselves safe and keeping our patients safe. So it, it, it might be the impetus to start practicing in a safer way. Not to say that dentistry is not safe. It's safe, of course it is. But you know some of the uh, things that we're exposed to and exposing ourselves and our patients to. This might be a nice transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is the one single best piece of advice that you've received, you know, in your career? It's going to sound really kind of cliche, but be yourself. Mm. 
be yourself because everybody else is taken. That's right. So true. I love that, Fran. The reason why I say that is because, like I said before, I was afraid to be myself. I was very hesitant. I didn't have the confidence because I was afraid somebody's going to berate me. I was going to, I was afraid that somebody was going to say something negative and I had to defend it. And I just, I don't like confrontation. And you know what my topic is can be quite confrontational. Some people are very set in their ways and that's great for them. Hey, I'm not here to make anybody believe the way I believe. No way. It's about just giving you the information and you choose. But I just don't want that confrontation. And I'm like, oh, but I was never true to myself. I always was trying to be somebody that people would approve of. And fit that piece of puzzle into the puzzle, right? Yeah. And I, I've had some challenges in my life. So I finally said, you know what? I'm just going to do what I got to do to help as many people as I can. Because I'm here for a purpose and I'm here for a reason. And I got to live my why. So I am going to be myself. And if people think I'm crazy, then so be it. Join the party. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you can't make everybody happy, right? You're not everybody's cup of tea. And why, why even worry about, you know, even thinking that way? Because you're not going to make everybody happy. So it's good that, that you, I think it's great when we finally get to that point in our lives. I wish we could get there earlier. I wish, you know, especially in our adolescent years, you know, when we go through those girls things, seventh, eighth grade, I remember, and I remember bringing my daughter through it. And, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if we could just get through these two years, because it's torturous. They're really mean to one another. And, you know, it's all that jockeying for positions, right? And, you know, who's going to be the lead queen bee? nobody has to be the lead. We can all share and have a great time, but you don't learn that until you're much older. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, really kind of is disappointing that, that we don't learn that confidence and that self-awareness and emotional intelligence much earlier in life than, than we do. So it's about supporting each other and holding each other up as opposed to trying to knock each other down so I could feel better about myself. No, I need to feel good about myself by myself. I don't need external approval anymore, you know? And I guess you get to that point in your career and you're like, okay, I, I feel like I've got enough under my belt. But like you said, we really need to feel that much sooner, you know, find your, your confidence and your why. Mm-hmm. Now, who in dentistry inspires you the most? I mean, sounds like you've had some really great mentors in your life. So who inspires you the most in dentistry? I have two people that are a little different. One is the doctor I work with, Dr. Vladimir Krasinski, I have to tell you. He has introduced me to a world that I never thought I would be a part of, never mind on the board or lecturing for and he's constantly asking for my opinion on things asking me to collaborate with him which makes me feel so it just fulfills me it feeds my soul because it makes me not that i'm looking for validation but i'm like i look up to him as my mentor and you know in this biological world and the fact that he's looking for me for advice i'm like wow that really it really means a lot that I've come that far 
and then another person, of course, you, MJ. Oh, gosh. And no. another place. I don't want to get emotional. I love this man. Probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because he gave me the confidence to be able to be a public speaker. He gave me my very first shot. And never public speaking in my life. Back in 2017, it was January of 2017, and he kept saying, Fran, send me your send me your proposal, send me your proposal, send me your proposal, because it's been street got talent. They were doing it in Cancun. And I'm like, I can't do this, I can't talk about it. And he goes, do it, do it, do it. The very last minute on a Sunday night, I went, oh, and I hit send. I sent it to him, and he accepted me. And I went to Cancun. I did my Facebook Live whole speaking thing. And supposedly, out of 25 contestants, I came in fourth in the online vote in Facebook. And that opened, and I talked about face contrast microscopy. That opened my whole world into this whole speaking and coaching, consulting. If it wasn't for that. Was it Elijah? Yes, Elijah yeah. Desmond. Yeah. If he did not do that for me, confidence in me to be able to do that, I would not be sitting here talking to you today. And I just did a summit with him last Friday too, you know, so. Awesome. He is one of the most amazing men in dentistry for sure. I have never, I have never in my life seen a bigger heart, a more willing and engaging personality. And he, what he wants for himself, he wants for everyone. And that to me is absolutely the key to a successful life. You know, what you want for yourself, you should want for everyone because, you know, we should all want that success for each other. And he's living it day in and day out. So I highly agree with you. I think that he's one of the most amazing men in dentistry. There's a couple others that are on my list, but he's definitely on it. Yeah, he, he wants everybody to succeed and he wants to lift everybody up. So much so that he's even tattooed it on his arm, that ladder of life where he's pulling people up the ladder. And he's, yeah. So anyway, he's definitely a huge influence in my life. And uh, I'll forever endeavor. That's pretty awesome. So do you think that he's made the most impact on your life? In this part of my life. In this aspect of my life. In the lecturing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before that, I have to say it was Dr. James Reiner, the doctor, the, the periodontist that I used to work with. Who first introduced you to the face. Yeah. And working with him and making me really love dentistry because the way he taught me, he was, like I said, he was teaching me as if I was a postgraduate student. Like I was already a doctor. If I'm a hygienist. And he'd say, you see how I'm holding this instrument? I'm doing this because of this. And why I'm doing it is this, because my goal is to achieve this. And like every detail. And it just just grew my love for and depth of, of dentistry because of that. Not just, okay, well, this is, this is A, B, and C. You do this and this and just go ahead. No, it was like really hands-on. And he was explaining it to you so that you could understand. Yes. And so between... James Ryan are getting me started and really loving dentistry. And I've had great doctors. I've never worked with a, with a, uh, in a bad office. I worked with great doctors and then getting to where I am now with uh, this biological practice and having that doctor as my mentor. And then in the midst of it, having Elijah step in 
So those were like my three key people, like how I started in dentistry, how I'm practicing dentistry now, and the person who's now elevated me to now out of my clinical role into now, it's time for me to tell, to teach people what I know. Absolutely. And I'm still learning. It's now time for me to hand off what I know to empower people. I want people to feel empowered. I want them to feel like they have a purpose and a why. It's not just, okay, I'm going to just scrape, scrape another tooth today, or I'm going to drill another, you know, crown prep today. No, you want to, this is, you have to have a, a purpose behind it. You know, how you're helping people. And I want to, I want to be able to help instill that. Awesome. So I know that, that the answer is partially to this question, but I'm going to just put this out there. What is the most important obstacle that you've overcome that you're most proud of? I'm going to be strong and I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> for those who don't know me, um, this curly hair is not natural. I am um, very blessed, I have to say, that I beat ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer is the number one most devastating gynecological cancer that there is. Of course, it's more dense. The reason being is because it's found in stage four, where it's sometimes it's too late. I had it last year. I was actually in January, I was starting to rebrand myself. I even got a new logo. I was like, this is my year. I'm going to really, you know, hit the ground running. I'm going to really start my coaching and my consulting business. And that was in January. And then on February 8th, which is a Friday night, I'll never forget it. I was out to dinner with friends and I just was not feeling great. I had abdominal discomfort, lower back pain. And I've been struggling with severe debilitating exhaustion for about six months, at least, before that. Felt very bloated. My abdomen was extended. And I just felt like I was getting old, fat, and tired. I went out with dinner with friends, with my husband. And I had no appetite. And it was my favorite restaurant. And I couldn't even eat. I had, like, maybe two forkfuls, which is not which is very highly unusual for me. And I like, ugh, just having an off night. Took some Pepto, a couple of Advil, and the next day was a Saturday. I was supposed to go to work, and even though I'm not clinical, I still wear scrubs. And I tried to put my scrubs on, and I couldn't even. And they were elastic, and I couldn't even get them on over my abdomen. It was so mm -hmm. descended. I'm like, the heck? So I'm taking Gasex, I'm Pepto, and Advil, and nothing was making that bloated, severe distension and discomfort not pain but like discomfort in my abdomen go away so i went to work i'm like it's just one of those things i'm getting old fat and tired i go to work and very uncomfortable all day and that night again hot heating pads and by sunday wasn't feeling any better so i mentioned it to my son who was a nurse he's an infectious disease uh, nurse actually and i mentioned he goes, Ma, you better go to the doctor i'm like i'm gonna go to the doctor for every damn thing it's just bloating yeah, just you better go. And, okay, so I call Monday morning and I I leave a message and they call me back. They said the doctor. Uh, I go to and she has an appointment at two thirty today. So I go. She's like, hmm. She's doing it. I tell her the symptoms, what I'm having, and she goes, oh. When I hear symptoms like that on a woman, I think that was something with the ovary. And I'm like, saying she's crazy. It's you know, I have gas. 
So she's feeling palpating. She goes, no, nah, it doesn't feel right. You know, I, I'm going to get some blood work. I want you to get a uh, transvaginal. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, yeah, the blood work. I ain't going to transvaginal. She's nuts. So I get the blood work. She calls me the next day. Everything looks good. I'm just waiting on the transvag. I'm like, oh, okay. I never went. Never made the appointment. So I said, I guess I better go. You didn't do it? No. So I was no. It was I was only bloated from gas. So there's a point to why I'm saying it like this. I thought she was crazy for making me go for a transvag. So Monday she says, get it. Tuesday I didn't make an appointment. So she's like, I'm waiting for the results. I'm like, oh, so I quick made one for the Wednesday, which is now February 13th. So I'm like 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm getting the trans badge. And I'm joking with the girl. I said, yeah, 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 it's probably echoing in there. You can't find it. I'm making all kinds of jokes. And I'm sure you can't see anything. It's no big deal. And she's not saying it. She's just smiling. And at 8.45 in the morning. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, oh. my cell phone rings and my world changed. Fran, it's Adria. Um, your scan came back that it's, um, it's concerning. So I really need you to see um, a gynecological oncologist. Mm. And the minute she said that, I knew right there. I'm like, no. And I let out a, a yelp and I slammed my office door, which have glass, it has glass in it, so it didn't mean a damn thing because everybody could still see me crying. Um, and she said, I know it's going to be okay, but there's a concern that it looks like it could potentially be. So sure enough, she called the oncologist herself and made me the appointment which was in five days. You can't get an appointment with this oncologist for a month. She got me in in five days. I went and she says, yeah, I suspect that it is. And it's about the size of a small beach ball. I went, what? It was four and a half pound mass. I thought I was just getting old, fat, and tired. Remember I was saying my son yeah. was getting bigger? Yeah, the thing was growing, and I had no idea. I just really thought I was getting all that tired because the symptoms are so vague. They mimic so many other things. The exhaustion, I figured I was just, you know, I'm getting older. I'm working too much. The abdomen distension, well, you know, my metabolism slowing down. This is what I'm thinking. The loss of appetite, well, that happens when, you know, on occasion. The lower back pain, well, I am old and, you know, I'm not, I'm overweight and all that. So I didn't think anything of it. And I had gone to other doctors prior to for about six months for my exhaustion and nobody could figure it out. Oh, you have overloaded candida. Oh, you have overload, you know, you have leaky gut, this and that. And no, it was, I had cancer. Yeah. Walk us through what, what happened and, you know, like share whatever you can. Cause obviously ovarian cancer is, is not something that we survive easily. It's usually a death sentence, and I do know that, and you must have known that because of the way you reacted. Yes, part of it for being. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, every one of us would have reacted the same way. I can't imagine not being so upset and, and, and screaming. 
here I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm starting my, I'm starting a new chapter of my life. Yeah. I'm finally confident in myself. And I'm like, I'll be damned. I'm, I want to be something other than just a clinician. I, I don't want to just keep scaling and scraping teeth. I want, I really wanted to have a meaning. I want to help people. I want to have people learn more about what I do. And here, everything came to a screeching halt with one phone call. And I very, um, I don't want to say the patent. Like, I'll tell anybody who will listen to me the symptoms of ovarian cancer, because like I said, they are so missed. Changes in bladder habits, changes in gastrointestinal habits, bloating, lower back pain, debilitating exhaustion. Uh, to give you, I mean, it doesn't matter if a man is listening to this or not. I had stopped menses for about seven months, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And then it started again. I'm like, oh, you know, perimenopause. I figured, oh, it's just going to, it's starting again because I'm, you know, perimenopause. Little did I know it started again because of the mass. So if you have spotting that you haven't had before, or you have unusual bleeding that you haven't had before, insist that you get a transvaginal because even a regular ultrasound won't necessarily show it. A pap smear is not going to show it. A regular pelvic exam is not going to show it. You need to have a transvaginal and a CA-125. CA-125 is, it shows a marker. It, um, it's not, doesn't necessarily say you absolutely have ovarian cancer, but it's a, it's a good marker for ovarian cancer. It could be other reasons. If you have inflammation in your body, it could be elevated too. But they did the CA, the day that I found out, she called and she said that you, you know, need to go to the oncologist. She just, I need a CAT scan. I don't want you to get a CA-125. So she's, when can you go? I said, anytime. So she may schedule all the appointments. I left work. I didn't even care, you know. So I had the CAT and the CA-125, which is normally supposed to be under 30. Mine was 114. So that was certainly a mark. And there's women who have higher than that, you know, like in the 300s. So, but mine was 114. And so she said, yeah. So us women tend to, oh, it's fine, poo-poo, and they, you know, oh, I'm fine, oh, it's just, you know, I'm growing pains, aching me, oh, I'm getting old, oh, I'm creaky. No, you have to pay attention to your body because even though you think it's nothing, which I did, I thought it was just some bloating and gas. It was actually something that, could have killed me if I didn't pay attention. If I did not listen to my son, because I respect his opinion because he's a nurse, because normally I would not have gone. Now, what stage were you diagnosed with? I was so blessed, 2A. It was 2A, which is unheard of. Right. Because it's usually found in stage three and stage four. Stage uh, three and four, the chance of recurrence is like 80 with a is I caught it at a stage where I could still beat it. I beat it with um, chemo, which I didn't want to do. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. Did not want to do it. As a holistic practitioner, I was like, I don't want to put that crap in my body, that poison that's going to kill me. It's literally, they have the freaking hazard sign on the bag. The day that they came to give me my first chemo, I nearly bolted out of the chair. I'm not joking. Because they they have to wear gloves, the, the big bag mass, uh, big bag with my two bags in it, 
had a uh, toxic hazard yeah. sign on it. And they're going to put that in. I have the port. I used to have a port. They're going to put that in my body. I'm like, oh. So I really didn't want it. But I said, you know what? I have a purpose and I want to live. No life, yeah. I have to make a choice of do I, if I don't do anything, and I try to do it alternatively, which I know a lot of people who have, and they beat it. They've had stage four cancer. I know two people right now who are living with that stage four cancer and treated it all alternatively. But that being said, I didn't want to take, I personally didn't want to take that chance because I looked at the faces of my family and I saw their fear. And that's what motivated me to do it. But I did do alternative stuff with it. But I credit my oncologist because she was very open to my alternative craziness. And uh, she was insistent on me having my, my chemo, four months of weekly chemo, which rendered me useless. Um, you met me with my hair was just starting to grow back. Yeah. And I, I had like, like almost no hair. I just had a little like fuzz on my head. And I have to tell you, that was the hardest thing I ever had to do. But it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Made you slow down and appreciate things? My mindset on many things has changed. Uh, taking time for me and my family. Me appreciating life and appreciate the people in my life. I reconnected with friends. I reconnected with family that I haven't seen in years. Because it meant, it's like, it meant so much more to me. And it just made my resolve to do what I feel is my purpose even more so. Because I need to be confident that I, I'm still here for a purpose. Why was it found so early when I could have easily have dis ignored it? You know? I even had bilateral surgery as on my shoulders. I had full blowouts, uh, both gator cups and both shoulders, had both surgeries, and I still wouldn't stop clinical. And then it must. And then I had cancer, and then I was like, okay, universe is telling me something. It's time for me to move on and start helping more people other than the patient I can touch. And it sounds crazy when I tell people that it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to refocus my life on what's really, I mean, really important and getting to that point where my life that my, I, I feel like I feed my soul now. I feel like it's not just surface stuff. Like I feed my soul by talking to you. Yeah. What an amazing uh, journey. I mean, seriously, just an amazing journey. And how blessed, you know, people that experience things like this, you know, obviously it is no small feat what you have done to get through all of this. Yeah. Can I tell you something here? Um, my last chemo, my 17th chemo was on August 7th. I had a speaking engagement in Manhattan for the uh, International Congress of Oral Implantology on August 15th, one week later. And by the following Wednesday, I felt, and I was like, I'll be, because when I found out, I, like, I called them, I was like, look, 
I might need my son to help me because I'm going through chemo. I, I'm, I'm a little weak. I mean, he might come with me to help carry my, you know, laptop or whatever. whatever. Is, is it okay if he comes? Absolutely not a problem. We'll give him a tag and this and this and that. So it comes. This was the 7th. And then by like that Monday, Tuesday, before I'm supposed to give my course, I'm starting to really feel really bad, really bad. So I call my oncologist's office and they're like, um, well, take this and then see how you feel. They gave me some cortisone and I'm still not feeling good. So she's like, you know what? Come on in. Let's give you some fluids. But before that, let's do some blood work. They took blood work. My hemoglobin was so low. They wanted to give me a blood transfusion. And this is on Thursday. And my lecture in Manhattan is on Friday, wow. the day before. And I'm like, no, you can't. I'm giving a lecture tomorrow. <laughs> they were back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They put me on something. They sent me home. My son went with me the next day. He literally propped me up. He put my computer there, everything. I gave a two-hour lecture one week after, which I almost didn't do. That's how much I love what I do because I'll be damned if I'm even going to let cancer stop me. And that's how everybody should feel about their career and what they're doing and have that passion. Find whatever, whatever excites you. Whatever, do what you love in this whole world. Whatever it is, find that niche and do that. So I just had to tell you that. Not to say, oh, look at me. It's just, it's not like, I'm not looking for, you know, it's just like, if you, if you find whatever it is that makes you love it that much, that you'll be doing it, even though you're half, <coughs> half in the bag, you know, then that's what you need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you ever found yourself in a moment in time where you reflected, oh my gosh, like an aha moment where you think, oh my gosh, I'm exactly where I am supposed to be. Have you had one of those moments yet? Yes. I knew you would because people with passion, that's one of the defining characteristics is they, they have experienced those moments in time when they, they're like, oh my God, this is exactly what I was supposed to do. You're making me, I, I've, you found your purpose. You found your, your reason for being. Yes. And so what was it? When, when was it? Can you share? It's not just one. It's several. It's every time I get up and I give a lecture or a presentation on, on what I do. And it just, the rush that I get talking about it. And then afterwards, it's inevitable. I always have a group of people coming up and asking me questions and, you know, saying, oh, my God, that was so great and wanting more information. I gave a lecture in uh, February to a group of female dentists down in uh, by Houston, Texas. And it was a room full of dentists, about 40, you know, a hygienist, a room 40 dentists, all women. And I gave my lecture on biological dentistry. And afterwards, they were all coming up to, that was fantastic. I need more information. I need the, yeah. And that was my, I'm like, I felt like I was, you know, the hygienist with a bunch of doctors. And they were looking to me. And I was like, this is why I do what I do, because I want to help more 
people and by me giving them the information so that they can help more people. Can you see exponentially how it just grows? Just like you. I mean, you're, you're an instructor, you're a professor, and you teach. And so how many more people can you help other than your patient in your chair? So that's what it feeds my soul when somebody goes, aha, that was so great. I need to find out more information. And that's, that's it, it. So it's not one. It's like every time that I get through to somebody that makes like, this is what I'm supposed to do. It just, it feels great. I want you to remember one thing. It does not matter if you're in a room full of dentists, you have something everybody wants to hear and your, your job is to share it. So by staying small, you do not serve the world. You need to expand. You need to get that out there because that's when those aha moments come because you are sharing your reason for being your why with the world and they need to hear it. So, you know, just, just a word of, of, from the wise, you know, like don't feel small and don't feel intimidated by a room. We're all really wonderful people. You know? I mean, I was a hygienist for 15 years too. So and <laughs> they're done that, but you know, it's, it doesn't, uh, we're all human, right? And we just have different levels of education, but we're all human. But you have to understand, I'm an old bird. So I'm like the old school, your doctor, you know, you have, yes, doctor. That's <laughs> just, it's, that's, that's something I can't get over because I have respect for anybody the chain who of has, command. Anybody who has gotten that degree, you work damn hard for it and you deserve my respect. Mm-hmm. And that's how I look at it. So, yeah. No, I, I'm much better than I used to be. There's definitely, there's no, no question, but I still. So it's, it feels good to be able to help people. Awesome. Can you tell us one thing that people would be surprised to know about you? I mentioned it earlier, but I am really an introvert. I mean, really an introvert. My, my husband hates it because like friends will call or he'll be talking to him and he goes, Oh, Rich wants to talk to you. I'm like, like I just, I, I, I just, ah. I get, like I am now, like I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my environment. I just love talking about this stuff. But when I need my quiet time, I want to be just left the heck alone. Just leave me in the corner. Leave me with my book. Don't bother me. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't, I just, I'm not going to answer you because I just really need to be alone. I used to be painfully shy, like painfully shy. Like you look at me and I power, but now I've grown. I blossomed into my own. Which is awesome. Yeah. It feels good. But uh, I was extremely shy and very much an introvert. I like, like I said before, I like to call myself an extroverted introvert. And there are times that I force myself to be, you know, to get out there. Yeah. Because I, I'm happy just sitting in the corner, just reading my book all by myself. <laughs> you know, my husband said, and I'm on the phone, just, you know, and he's like, and I'm like, no, I'm just reading. Like, I'm <laughs> that's good. That's really good. At least, you know, right. You know, what makes you happy. So that's all that we can all ask of ourselves. So when you reflect back, do you think that you had confidence as a young woman? And if not, how did you develop it? Absolutely not. Okay. I am blessed to have the parents that I did. 
I'm telling you, they were beautiful people. But as parents, I'm a parent, you're a parent. Sometimes we can say things that maybe affect you. So when I was in school, I never really had to study and never really had to try anything. And I just, you know, I got through school, no problem. And which is actually a curse. It's not good. So when I was in hygiene and I had this stuck to me, stuck with me 37 years later, I had my board patient never showed up. Didn't come. Yeah. I didn't have a backup because I was hard to even get that one. So I, didn't have a patient. Thank goodness another hygienist had a backup. So her patient qualified. So her backup, I got her backup. So now I'm running like a crazy person trying to, because now I had to do the whole new workup on them. I couldn't use her workup. I had to do a whole new workup. And, you know, the board examiner already knew the situation. So he didn't hassle me too much. So I did what I had to do. Oh, my God. Ah! So I work on the patient. I finish. The examiner comes to the exam. And he goes, can I have the explorer? And I'm like, which one? No, because you're, you're a kid. And of course, you have the shepherd turk or the pigtail. And he goes, you mean you don't know which word to give me? Give me the one I don't know how to use. <laughs> he tried to make me feel better. So I wound up getting a 99 on the exam. I get the thing in the paper, in the, in the, in the mail. So I go to my mom, oh, mom, I passed, I passed. Even with that, with that craziness, I passed. And she's, oh, really? And I said, yeah, I got a 99. She goes, oh, how come you didn't get a 100? Yeah, I can laugh now. Oh, I'm laughing then. That, that was. It's painful. I think she, now that I'm older, I think she meant it more as she had such confidence in me that she knew I could have aced 100. But at that point, it kind of just difficult, deflated everything out of me. As excited as I was, I got that hundred. How the heck do you get a hundred? I mean, a ninety-nine. Because they took it off because you didn't end, like your hair clip or something. You got a ninety-nine after all that hassle that I almost couldn't even take my boards, and I was so proud of it, and that I had that def deflated situation. My my confidence just took total plunge like I'm not good enough and I know later on I know she didn't mean it that way but it just and it took years years for me and that's just one instance but that one really stuck out apparently <laughs> at my age I'm still remembering it. you know what it's okay because you know I, I think many of us in in that age group that was how our parents were brought up and yeah. You know, they just passed that along. I a similar story I, you know, had from my dad, you know, well, how come you can't get an A all the time? You know, it it was always that constant search to try and prove myself, right? And I'm I'm sure this the same in, in your book. But I think that the good news is that I think our children are in a much better position and understand psychologically what words can do and that words are things and they have meaning and there's energy behind those words and that energy does affect us both personally and, and emotionally. So uh, I think they're much better at, at it today than even I was as a mom and probably you were as a mom because we just didn't know what we didn't know. So now I think we're, we're learning all of those things 
you can't go back, right? And you can only move forward. So you've developed into a confident woman. We all do. What do you think has been the key building blocks that you have used to build your confidence over this time? I don't let people live rent-free in my head. Oh, I like that. I don't let people live rent-free in my head. Which sounds... I love that, actually. Good for you. I would obsess. Oh, like if a patient, you know, if a patient didn't want to see me again, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they didn't like the way I did my scaling or they didn't like the conversation. Oh, that. I would obsess over for weeks. What did I do wrong? Oh my God. And like, it would just emotionally, physically and and spiritually just overtake me. And, you know, even in everyday life, if somebody has something negative to say, oh, like, you know, and I would have to be careful. I'd walk on eggshells so that people would like me and I would, you know, have to make everybody happy. And I'm like, it's, I'm at that point in my life that I cannot make everybody happy. Like we said, oh, yes, you just can't. Mm-mm. I am who I am and take it or leave it. This is what you get. And I can't be anybody but myself. And if I let somebody rob me of my peace, then shame on me. Because I am in control of my peace. If I worry about tomorrow... I'm robbing my joy today and I need to live life to the fullest, which I have many more years ahead of me, which I plan on that. And longevity lives in my family. My father was 92. So uh, I plan on being around quite some time. So I am not going to live my life in constant fear of uh, what somebody said to me or, I mean, constructive criticism, I'm all for, you know, friend, you could do this better. Hey, give it to me. I want it. How am I going to get better if you don't tell me? I don't know exactly, you know, how things are perceived or what I've done. Oh, maybe I didn't realize. Tell me. But just nonsense? No. Mm -mm. I have to be confident and comfortable in my own skin, which I have to tell you, I really do now. More so than I ever have. And if I let those little things, that chatter stay in my head, I can't live to my fullest. Hey, look, I had my, my scare last year. I ain't gonna give it up to anybody. Um, and I, not to be so flippant about it. It's just, we all have to be ourselves and live a mindful life and to fulfill it. You don't want to have regrets. So many people have regrets. I should have done this. Or why didn't I do that? I should, I didn't do this because I was afraid that one's going to say this. And, uh-uh. Nope. You got to just have to not let people or let them be in your head. I love that. Rent free. I love that. What's your favorite way to relieve stress? Do you have a favorite way? I love walking. I love to walk. Just, you know, I do have RA also. I'm just a hot mess. I have limitations on what I can do. So, but walking, you let me walk and listen to my focus at will music, my beta waves or uh, my chill and just I do like a you know uh, mindful meditation while I'm walking and leave me alone don't call me don't text me <laughs> and that's how I re- re-energize and recharge I mean even believe it or not I'm waiting for Amazon to deliver today I bought one of those little pedals uh, that sit under your desk so you can pedal 
Yeah. So like if I'm reading a book or whatever, I said, because if I can't walk so much, because some days are rougher than others because of uh, malignant, my malignancy, I can't take certain uh, medications anymore for my RA. So it flares up. So if I can't do my walking, I said, well, I want to at least do some my pedaling. Yeah. So I'm waiting for it to come today. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love Amazon. Oh, Amazon is my worst thing. Oh my God. My husband's like, what the heck did you buy today? Oh my gosh. But anyway, it's like I have to do something. So if I'm sitting listening or if I'm reading and I'm pedaling, that's like so cathartic. That so clears me up. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. So, you know, I don't know if this is the case, but do you have a personal motto or mantra that you live by? Not so much. More of love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. I know it so, sounds so cliche, but I tell it to everybody. Like people who are even going in dentistry, they ask me about, you know, being a dental hygienist. I said, do you love it? Well, I don't know. I said, if you don't love it, I said, do what you love. Whatever makes you, whatever you think about and it makes your skin tingle. And it just, like, ooh, that's what you need to do. Figure out how to do it, whatever that may be. Write it down and write down the steps how to do it and then get it done i said don't go on to do something just because of the money because then what's happening is going to sink at it do something that is going to fulfill your purpose it makes you feel good and you'll you're it's not work and the years will go by and like you feel so fulfilled that's what you need to do so do what you love love what you do and and you know that's basically it good for you another thing that Marisa, Mother Teresa says, she used to say, God won't give me any more than I can handle, but I wish he wouldn't trust me so much. <laughs> oh, I love that too. I love that too. She does sound like a who, didn't she? She was, yes, yeah, she was. So I wish you wouldn't trust me so much. So, you know, sometimes things get really rough and a little harried, a little hairy and a little stressed out in the days you're like oh but if you just say like i'm not gonna i i can handle it there's a lesson i can learn from this there's even as bad as this is there's something i can learn from this like i i had cancer for guys and i had chemo for four months every week it sucked and you know but look it changed me forever it was the best thing that ever happened and it may give me beautiful cold hair which i never <laughs> had before there's 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 silver linings. You know, just find find a positive in everything. Yeah. And you got to just love what you, and if you don't love what you do, then find a way to love it. And if you can't, just keep doing that. And so you can get to do what you want to do. Do what you got to do until you get to do what you want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us if you have a secret dream or a guilty pleasure. Or maybe you have both. My guilty pleasure Secret dream. Oh, secret, secret dream. There are days that I really, really, really regret not going back and becoming the doctor. But you don't want to have regrets. No, but at this point, I guess I keep saying to myself, because I almost went back when I was 40. When I was 40, I was seriously thinking about going back. And I went, what the hell am I crazy? I said, I got to worry about my kid going to college. I'm going to worry about having, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, working until I'm 99 to try to pay off these student loans if I try to become a business now. So I said, but would I really love what I do as much? 
if I was the doctor? I don't know. So I, 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 I got to like, I got to bring myself back there. So that was my, my secret dream was to be the doctor. Mm-hmm. But I just act like who I am one sometimes. <laughs> so it's okay. We're, it's all good. But, you know, but I, I know my boundaries, but you know, like I said, with my, the doctor I work with now, he, he asks my opinion on a lot of things. So I find that very rewarding. So I'm like, okay, he, you know, he thinks I'm a, a peer to something. He appreciates you. He appreciates. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. How about a guilty pleasure? I'm embarrassed to say it. Not really. I love, love, love going to Atlantic City with my husband. That's awesome. The reason being is not not because I have to gamble. I'm not like, you know, I don't need to join GA or anything. It's more about because I just love spending time with him. We're married 29 years in September. I've known him for since when 1989, like 32, 31 years. I've known him a long time. I still actually like him. And <laughs> love him too. And when I go there with him, I just, it's, you go to a show, we go to dinner, we have a couple of cocktails, because we go to a special room because of the love of card he has, because he likes to play. I just dabble, he plays. And we go, we have a couple of drinks, we meet people, we chat, we have fun, we play a little bit. And, you know, it's all bad habits. I mean, a couple of drinks, and a little gambling. That's not really healthy for you, but you know what? It's a getaway, it's a release. So we do it every so often. Obviously, we can't do it now. We haven't, you know, for several months. I didn't do it at all last year at all because I was so sick with the treatment. I couldn't go. And so I was felt well enough that we actually did go in February for a weekend. And then a couple of weeks later, everything was shut down. And it was so refreshing to go and, and just not really have a care in the world because I was in this fancy fantasy place. And um, that's my guilty pleasure. That's just awesome. Running that's away awesome. for the weekend. Or, City. That's awesome. It's should really... be so ashamed. No, why? Why? You, it's not terrible. Yeah, that's your guilty pleasure. And yeah, once in a while. Once in a while, everything in moderation, right? Isn't that what we always say? Everything in moderation. That's right. You know, Fran, you are a true inspiration to all of us. Um, I am honored to have had you on the show and your story, I know, is going to make a difference to somebody out there. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you for giving us a little insight as to what it was like. I think, you know, it would be another really cool thing for us to share, you know, symptoms and stuff. And, and if you pass that along, I certainly will put that in the literature below the, the podcast so that people will uh, be able to take and identify it if they have any of those symptoms. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, Fran, for being here today and for sharing your story. I really do appreciate it. No, it's giving me the opportunity to share. Feeds my soul like you'll never, never realize. So I cannot thank you enough. And yes, um, biological, biological dentistry is my life, but more so if I can have one woman get checked and be able to be blessed like I have been, then this was all worth it. So don't ignore symptoms. Don't blow it off. Don't think, oh, I'm just getting old, fat, and tired. Because, you know, you may not be just getting old, fat, and tired. It could be something that you need to pay attention to. I will tell you, Fran, if I, 
If I ever felt that way, that would be the first thing I would think of is, oh my gosh, Fran told me not to do that. Exactly. So it's, it's everybody just needs, be in tune with your body. You know, pay attention to your body because women, we tend to ignore ourselves. So that's my one takeaway, my big takeaway. Pay, be in tune with who you are, what you are, and take good care of yourself. Self-care is huge. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here, Fran. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.